Well, let's talk about the Holy Spirit here for a few minutes. Um, when we think of the Holy Spirit, I think it's, it's most important to start kind of with a, a context on things. So, Dakota, would you hit me with the diagram with the two boxes on it real quick? So check this out. When we think of the Holy Spirit's ministry, there are two basic dimensions to his ministry. We have the inward ministry and the outward ministry. Now, I've chosen inward and outward not merely because, hey, those words kind of are memorable and go together and, you know, whatever, but, but because the Bible uses specific positional words to describe these. Some of these works happen in our inner being, and some of them happen outwardly upon us. And so let's look at this for a moment. The inward ministry of the Spirit on the left, we think of, if you look at the very bottom, it all has to do with purity. Um, getting into the kingdom of God and then growing in purity afterwards. And so we think of a course of salvation. And there are five terms in the Bible that all basically mean the same thing. Salvation and saved, born again, born of the spirit, and regeneration all mean the same thing. The term regeneration is only used once. It's used by the apostle Paul in Titus 3.5. And it has a specific eye because Paul always associates our salvation to the work of the spirit through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, but the Spirit is the agent of our salvation, you know? So we think of salvation. And then I've chosen another metaphor of Paul here for the second level, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit is not actually fruit that grows, nor is it the individual fruits singular of the spirit, but it's one thing. It's, this is the fruit. This is the, the reaction, the natural response of the growing purity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. All of those things run against our own selfish nature. You know, it's not normal to be that way. It's normal to have selfishness and road rage and whatever and other problems, you know. How many have ever been around someone with like some kind of demonic activity going on? You know, you can usually tell right away because they have like a Patriots jersey on. You can see it right away, you know. But, um, and so uh, it's interesting. So you see the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's another level. That's growing. So the best metaphor for the work of the Spirit in our lives is a donut. Anybody like donuts? All the spiritual people, right? I can tell all the people that are doing keto because the moment I said donuts, you went... Begin to lick your lips. It just happened automatically. So our, our life is like, spiritually speaking, like a donut. Not the one with the hole, but the kind of like a cake solid donut. The moment you and I get saved, God injects the chocolate cream filling of the Holy Spirit inside of our donut. The Bible teaches us clearly that the moment, of our, the moment you go, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I believe you're my Savior or whatever your prayer is, inviting him and putting your trust in him to save you. At that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And there's literally more scripture on this work of the Spirit than any other work of the Spirit in the Bible. you got like Romans 8, 9 where Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you don't even belong to Christ. Or like Paul's temple text stuff to the Corinthian church, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 6, 19, where he says, don't you know your body, your carcass, your donut, so to speak, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And I think it's important for us to remember, too, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. Like the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you when you're eating Chick-fil-A and listening to K-Love, you know, and then he leaves whenever you're, you know, doing something else. A lot of people go, they think that the Holy Spirit's only inside of them when they feel him. But that's not the way it is at all. Now, can the Holy Spirit leave? Yes, if you evict Jesus out of your life, then the Holy Spirit goes. But people go, well, why do I feel so badly about sin? Well, before you were saved, the Holy Spirit was convicting you from the outside 
But after you give your life to Jesus and you're in his kingdom, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He intensely convicts you from your inner being. And so it's not like he doesn't leave unless you would reject, deny, kick out Jesus. And so we got to start, stop going by our feelings and start really living by the word of God. Because sometimes when we feel most distant from God, he's most present with us. Um, so we think of the inward ministry of the spirit. Now you can do all these things and go to heaven some golden daybreak and still be miserable and have no fruit and be cranky. How many ever sat in church by someone cranky? How many are doing it right now? No, don't raise your hand. All right. So, so the inward ministry of the spirit, God has built us more than just getting our early reservation, early bird reservation in for heaven. And then we kind of exist through life with our biggest pursuit, just being getting, getting better rims on our car or whatever, you know, ever increasingly better until, you know, they take us to, you know, Maranatha village and let us eat cream corn until Jesus comes or something like that. But the idea of this is that God, after he saves us, even though we're not all fixed yet, how many know we got a long way to go, right? Even though we're, Got so excited, I turned my own mic off. All right, so, uh, I mean, that was a sound man's problem. Yeah, okay, no, I'll turn the switch around that way, sorry. But um, it's one of those things where we oftentimes think, well, okay, well, that box is checked, it's done, I'm good. And then we kind of live for ourselves, and then Christians wonder why there's not a lot of fulfillment in their lives. Because biblically, in this life, the fulfillment that we need does not come merely by the inward work of the Spirit in our lives. The Bible associates nine times in the New Testament that the fulfillment in a believer's life, supernatural joy and fulfillment, comes from the outward ministry of the Spirit. The outward. This is where, like, you think about it. Nine times this point is made. For example, what happens even in heaven when one lost person repents? All of heaven rejoices. That's double shot of joy, you know? Or like Luke 9, when, uh, when Jesus commissions the 12, they come back filled with great joy. Luke 10 commissions... Uh, that was a 12. Then commissions a 70 in Luke 10. They come back filled with exceeding joy. And then at the end of Luke 10, Jesus gets alone and prays and says, thank you, Father, filled with great joy in the spirit at their obedience and ministry. You know, so it's interesting. A lot of people think just merely signing your name on the dotted line should open up heaven's treasure vault to you on this earth and you should, you know, whatever. But it's not that way. God's designed us for more than just sitting around in an earthly waiting room until the trumpet sounds or, you know, the 12th blood moon comes or whatever. God, God wants us to do more. And wouldn't you like to do more in your life than you're doing for the Lord presently? I mean, seriously. Like, if, if you could even, you know, give up your second car and your pool and your, you know, your Nintendo or whatever it was and, and do something like world shaking with your life, wouldn't you pretty much be really excited about that? I mean, for real. But the, what keeps us from doing that is we feel under-resourced, we feel under-equipped, we feel under-talented, under-gifted. But this is why God coats us with the Holy Spirit's power. We're going to read in a moment in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus told people who already had the Holy Spirit inside of them, the chocolate was already inside their donut, you are going to receive power, supernatural ability, when the Holy Spirit comes outwardly upon you, is the Greek verb there, epipipto, and there'll be no test on it, but epi is like your epidermis, your outer, outermost layer, and pipto to fall. He's going to fall on you outwardly, like when you walk outside in the rain, you get wet on the outside. Jesus said, I'm going to dunk you, baptize you, immerse you. That donut that already has the chocolate of the Holy Spirit inside, but nobody knows it's in there unless they cut you open, and I hope they don't. God's going to take that whole donut, and he's going to 
dunk it, immerse it, baptize it, and robe it in the chocolate glaze of the Holy Spirit on the outside. And have you ever noticed in a box of assorted donuts how the ones with the chocolate on the icing, icing on the outside just kind of naturally rub off and stick to all the other donuts around them? That's exactly what this is about. You're going to receive power of supernatural ability. You don't have by merely having an internalized Christianity, but now I'm going to dunk you and coach you on your outer being. No wonder Jesus called it being clothed with the Spirit's power in Luke 24. And then you're going to rub off naturally on people all around you, where you live and other contexts around the world even. You know, there's a a church right here today in Arlington, right on this, uh, is it Casey? Is that the road? Collins, that's what I said, Collins. Um, there's, there's a church right here because, because of the promise of the Spirit. And so God wants to enable us to do the things that we'd all love to do, but we don't know what to do. We don't feel power. We don't feel resource. We don't know. This is what it's about. So two levels here. You see the bottom, it's all about power, but spirit baptism, which is our topic, and I'll define that in a quick second. And then we think of like the gifts of the spirit. First Corinthians 12, um, 8 through 11, we think of the power gifts, the communication gifts, um, the uh, uh, demonstration gifts, the, the revelation gifts. We think about how God wants to operate in supernatural power through us. So I want to invite you, if I can, to stand with me to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word. And I want to invite you to read out loud with me the word of God. This will by far be the best, most important stuff you hear all night long. And the first part we're going to read is that promise Jesus made in the timeline he has already died risen again from the dead, and in John 20, inside of a locked room, he appeared to the disciples, and he breathed on them, and he put the chocolate of the Holy Spirit inside their donut at that moment, when they were fully born again in the New Testament sense, like you and I enjoy. And then afterward, Jesus made the promise, I'm not only going to have the chocolate inside, I want to put the chocolate outside. So you rub off on people around you. And then we're going to read a little bit about that first time that Jesus dunked them in the Holy Spirit's outward power for ministry, the day of Pentecost, like eighty thirty or so. You ready to read with me? Okay, if your neighbor is muttering, feel free to give him an elbow. Here we go. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages 
as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, just so you know, where we're stopping to read is only barely crossing the threshold of this gift, just scratching the surface. It's much bigger and more dimensional than, than the portion we're reading. But uh, I want to ask you if you would pray with me together that God will stir us to not only understand, but to receive all that he has for us. Because I'm believing God in a few moments as we come to the concluding time of prayer that every person in this room, how many of you are people? There are two types. There are humans and then there are, are Patriots fans. That um, every person in this room would either experience the wonder of being baptized, drenched in the Holy Spirit for the first time, or if you've already received that gift, that God would download to you today's updated anointing upon your life. Uh, he wants to strengthen us with today's gift to do today's work, with today's eyes, and how many receive a fresh touch from the Lord today? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word gives us the edges on where we need to be and helps us to stay central going after your heart and your mission. And Lord, I pray tonight that you will help us through your Holy Spirit's ministry to really understand in a greater way, maybe even a more simplified way, what you really want to do through our lives and how you can use people like us that really don't have it all together. But with your power and with your ability, listening to you, following your promptings, interacting with you, you can do great and mighty, mind-blowing things through us. And we welcome you to do that. Jesus, will you not only reveal yourself tonight as, as Savior and as healer, but would you reveal yourself as our baptizer in the Holy Spirit? And for those who have experienced this years ago, would you give them a fresh glimpse of your face in this role? Thank you for it, Lord. And finally, Jesus is always following your pattern of ministry, always taught and healed, that always went together. So we expect tonight, Lord Jesus, you to send your healing grace upon this room. In fact, Lord, I pray right now upon anyone who would just slip up a hand right now in this moment, that suddenly they would become aware of your healing grace flowing from heaven into their bodies right now. I thank you, God, for it. Thank you for your, your power flowing and your grace flowing. Thank you for it, Jesus. Lord, I pray, I just feel the prompting, specifically for autoimmune disease tonight, Lord Jesus, that you would send your healing grace and touch bodies, Lord, that you'd remove mysterious symptoms and restore health and calibration to every system of the body. Thank you, God. We promise to give you the glory for every good thing. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated if you like. Uh, if you're a Patriots fan, you are dismissed. All right, so let's... Uh, Sorry, I'm really not that bitter. Okay, maybe. Well, let's, um, let's talk for a few moments about the Holy Spirit's ministry. Let me give you um, a, uh, a definition on what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. So the most biblical definition we have for this universally available anointing of ministry power for Christians is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, not baptism of the Holy Spirit. That would have some different connotations. Baptism in, like when you get baptized in water, if it's done properly, you get wet. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, when God dunks your donut in the Holy Spirit, you get power for ministry. And so this is kind of the uh, working definition. Spirit baptism, for short, is the prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit. Stop there for a moment. A lot of people that might be new uh, to a, a church here like Grace Place that really values the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit and his power and his giftings, but doesn't want to just pursue the fireworks of it. They want to pursue the purpose of it. Like, aren't you thankful to be a part of a church like that? It's kind of right in the middle of the safe spot that God has for us. Really cool. Because a lot of people, they burn all their energy off on fireworks. And God does fireworks, but how many know we don't pursue the fireworks? We pursue the purpose of God, all right? And so... 
But a lot of people might be surprised to know that this is just not something out of the book of Acts where we read today. Like it's not dot, 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 Holy Spirit, dot, 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 baptism, dot, 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 speak in tongues, whatever, dot, 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 Sith Lord, power, electricity, whatever. It's, it's, but this is a major theme out of the Bible. You might be surprised to know the first promise of baptism in the Holy Spirit was made in the fourth book of the Bible by the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Moses himself. Numbers eleven twenty nine. one day in the future... When things are different, God is going to pour out his spirit on all of his people, empowering them to say the things he wants them to say. This is a massive, significant prophecy. It's in the Old Testament, it's prophesied by Moses, by Samuel, by David, by Isaiah, by Jeremiah. The strongest Old Testament prophecy, like most specific, is by Joel in Joel 2. In fact, after on, on the day of Pentecost where we kind of stopped reading, when an onlooking crowd gathers around and goes, what's going on? Uh, Peter uses that Joel prophecy to go, this is what's going on. It was that specific. Now, still in the Old Testament time zone, but recorded in the New Testament gospels before Jesus had died and risen again, it's recorded in every gospel, this prophecy by John the Baptist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we read it a moment ago in Acts 1.8. It's recorded by Jesus himself right before he ascended into heaven. He said, I've saved you. I put my Holy Spirit inside of you, but I have not yet dunked or baptized any of you in the Holy Spirit. But stick around in Jerusalem until I do so, because in a couple days, I'm going to do that in your life. So at a major, that, that prophesied empowering, those two words, that's a big biblical theme that God wants to empower us, the everyday average Joes and Janes, with supernatural power to represent God's kingdom and power in the world around us. That was a great spot to say amen. No, 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 you missed it. Um, Let's see if you can get sharper on that. Okay, Um, so it's given to followers of Jesus. A significant point here, baptism in the Holy Spirit is not salvation. In fact, baptism in the Holy Spirit, if you have not yet given your life to Christ or saved or born again, it all means the same thing, but you haven't had that transaction yet, our subject tonight, baptism in the Holy Spirit, really has no interest in your life at all because this is an after-salvation equipping of power for ministry. Just to be clear, Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not the most important thing in your life. Salvation is. Salvation is. And so you you might, maybe this is the first time you're visiting this church and you go, man, all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, because you only came once, right? Cut us some slack. Uh, But uh, the, that and and the patriots. But anyway, um, so, but uh, you know, the Bible says there's no fellowship between light and darkness. So, okay, then it's given to followers of Jesus for the specific purpose of increased inward closeness. Now, Don't misunderstand, this is not to say that people that haven't yet been baptized in the Spirit are not close to God. That's not what I mean. Let me give you context. This comes through the function of the process of being baptized in the Spirit. The book of Acts, which is the book that gives us the central practical outworking of this promise being fulfilled repetitious times, Um, the book of Acts shows us that everyone that was baptized in the Spirit, number one, they were all already Christians, Holy Spirit living inside of them. This was a post-salvation thing. But secondly, it shows us every person that was baptized in the Holy Spirit were not only Christians, but they all took extra steps on some level of devotion to draw near to the Lord to receive. This is not some passive thing where you just sit there like at the dentist office and they go, George, come on in, you know. It's not like you're waiting on something or like your lotto number to be called or your deli number. This is something you have to take some extra steps you're not currently taking to climb the mountain of the Lord. You know, we have as much of God working in our lives because of our spiritual pressing in to receive from him, right? 
which means the possibilities are limitless for all of us. But the main point is increased outward power to help, or probably a better word, to minister to other people, because God's called all of us as Christians to be ministers, right? That is a good spot to say, amen, I'll drink to that, something. I don't know whatever you say here. So uh, this is really important. God's called all of us to do ministry. That doesn't mean that he wants everyone to be a pastor or a missionary, though probably a lot of people have resisted that call in their lives. But God wants us all to be branch offices of his kingdom, but we don't do more because we're afraid. We believe in our own inabilities more than we believe in God's power to overcome them. This is why we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, beyond this definition, let me give you real quick three more things that kind of more flesh out this definition, all right? So first of all, spirit baptism is biblical. This is not something where some bunch of, uh, you know, people from Grace Church, Grace Place Church got around and go, let's create a doctrine, you know? This is a central theme from the Bible that God empowers people that don't know what they're doing with supernatural grace. And throughout the Bible, it goes from just one at a time to a few at a time, to 12 at a time, to 70, and then to everybody in the kingdom of God. And if you're in the kingdom of God, God wants to do this in your life. So it's biblical. Now, let me give you uh, just a little more context on it. Hit me with the next one, Dakota. So the term baptize in or with the Holy Spirit is used six times. It's one of the few things about Jesus that get into every gospel and into the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read the Acts 1, 5 there, the fifth one down. That's by Jesus himself right before he ascended to heaven. In fact, you could say this prophecy that Jesus would baptize in the Spirit bookended the ministry of Jesus. But then most importantly, perhaps out of all of this, the apostle Peter identifies specifically what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is in Acts eleven sixteen. In context, he goes, hey, back in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon us, empowering us. We began to have supernatural sign that it confirmed it. That is when Jesus baptized us in the Holy Spirit. And guess what? That thing just happened with a bunch of Italians in Caesarea. Same thing. Holy Spirit came upon them, empowered them, gave them that supernatural confirming sign. That is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The reason why that's really important is because a lot of people just kind of naturally think the term baptize in the Holy Spirit is just another term for salvation. But the Bible never does that. Um, This is clearly something after salvation, when you come to grips with your own weakness and inability, and you're like, I want to do more for the Lord, and I'm tired of not doing it. The Lord, I need help. Download an upgrade in my life, you know. That's when God begins to do that. So then the next one, please. People are baptized in the Spirit five times in the book of Acts. In fact, Spirit empowering is the central theme of the book of Acts. You see it, first of all, the Jews in the day of Pentecost, then the Samaritans with Philip the deacon and the other apostles that would later join. Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus. Acts 10, the Italians. Any Italians here? All right, so just one. All right, the world's quietest Italians here. I'm from the East Coast. Our Italians are a little louder than yours here. I don't know what it is. Okay, Um, and then Acts 19, the biggest revival in the New Testament, Paul in Ephesus, his most successful church, biggest, second biggest church in all of the first century next to Jerusalem after this big Holy Spirit revival took place. So you get an idea. In fact, um, you could say that um, a lot of people misunderstand the book of Acts. They don't know what to do with it. They go, well, we got the Gospels where you have Jesus, and then you have the epistles where, you know, the apostles are telling the stuff, and then you got, you know, the book of Revelation, which sure made Tim LaHaye a lot of money. And so we have those different things. But what do we do? What do we do with the book of Acts? You know, Jesus makes that quick cameo in the front, and then he disappears. And, you know, you got all kinds of stuff, and, you know, and a lot of people don't know what to do with it. But it might surprise you 
Um, that it, well, let me ask you this question. Who wrote most of the New Testament? Everybody says Paul. Did you know I just totally walked you into a dead end? That's actually not true. The fact that gets misconstrued, Paul wrote more books than anyone else, 13, but Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament by a long shot. Even if you give Paul Hebrews and give him a 14th book, which 99% of all scholars in the world don't think Paul wrote Hebrews, no when we get to heaven, but even if you give Paul Hebrews, Luke still wrote more of the New Testament by a long shot. The combined writings of Luke and Acts together comprise the largest authorship of the New Testament, not to say he's more important than Paul, but think about this for a moment. Did you know that until the year AD 450, what we call the book of Acts was basically second Luke? It's a two-volume, contiguous, historical, theological narrative. And it even follows each of these books. If you read great theologians like Roger Stronstad and some others, um, the book of Luke and Acts have the same identical eight-point outline. Let me give it to you in a real quick second here. Luke chapter 1 begins with Jesus being supernaturally born, then Jesus being empowered by the Spirit, Luke 4, Jesus preaching specific confirming sermons, then performing specific confirming healings that had not been performed. You know, there's no one healed of being deaf, blind, lame, or mute in the entire Bible until Jesus shows up. Those were his foremost favorites. He did the other stuff too, but those were the big ones. Then Jesus experiences very specific types of persecution, his arrest, his threefold trial, and then the consummation. The book of Acts begins with the church being supernaturally born, the church being empowered, the church preaching specific types of messages, the church now, in the absence of the physical presence of Jesus, performing those exclusive miracles that no one else had performed, like the lame, gate, uh, beautiful beggar healing, the church experiencing specific types of persecution, the arrest, Paul's threefold trial, and the consummation, and yet the book of Acts never concludes intentionally, and it's literally written open so that we still feel, you see, I have the idea, Luke's trying to get us to see the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for his ministry is now coming upon his followers to continue his ministry. You know, Luke chapter one begins, most excellent Theophilus, a Greek dude's name. Many others have set about to write an orderly account of what Jesus didn't taught. Now here's my attempt and Luke, the physician, a little more trained perhaps than some of the other gospel writers, goes and writes the most technically correct of the gospels. Not that the others are incorrect, but technically as in, you know, uh, sequential and uh, chronological and all those things. And it ends, Luke ends with Jesus on the mountaintop giving the promise of the Spirit, Luke 24, and ascending to heaven. Acts chapter 1 starts, in my former treatise, O most excellent Theophilus, I began to write about what Jesus didn't taught till he was taken to heaven. Now we pick up from there. And it ends with Jesus on the Mount of Olives giving the promise of the Spirit and ascending to heaven. The obvious faded edges on our last episode. You know, we, and, and so you, do you feel this, that God wants to take you farther than you can get by yourself? This is the biblical concept. God's doing it in people's lives still today. Look at the next one, please. Spirit baptism is not only biblical, but secondly, it's important. It's not like optional equipment in your spiritual life. In fact, you could say very clearly that Jesus not only commanded us to be baptized in water. How many know that Jesus commanded us? That's not an option. Now, baptism in water doesn't save us, but it's a post after salvation uh, declaration of our devotion to the Lord. It has a lot of other meaning, the overwhelming cleansing metaphor and all that stuff. But very, very important. It's a command. It's not optional. If you've not been baptized in water as a Christian and you know that command you're, and you're not doing anything about it, you intentionally are living in a status of some disobedience there. I'm not here to put guilt on you, 
I mean, that's solely the domain of your mother-in-law, and I would never want to interfere with her. But, um, but th- that's just to say the next time they fire up the jacuzzi, you need to get proactive and get in a, into an obedient state, right? But the same level, Jesus commanded us as believers to be baptized in the Spirit. It's not like option. Like I see a lot of churches, they do big baptism, water baptism bash, and they never do a Holy Spirit baptism bash. You know, you guys do tonight, you know, and other, many other times as well. But it's just interesting to see. In fact, if you look at the next one, so the Bible shows us this is what the scriptures record the apostles did with brand new converts. They got them baptized in water and baptized in the spirit as quickly afterwards as possible. Now, I'm a teacher by calling. When I was 14, I felt called to teach on the Holy Spirit. I get called evangelist all the time because we're, we kind of travel and carry an itinerary that way, which actually has nothing to do with being an evangelist. But anyway, but teaching on the Spirit. So people tend to kind of overvalue their own passions and callings. So I would say, man, you get the person saved, we need to teach them. But that's not what the apostles did. Even Paul said in 1 Corinthians, hey, right up front, we gave you the gospel with power, not teaching. But after it was established in your life with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, then we went on to teach you, but not the stuff the world teaches you. We taught you the things of God. And so you see this, Acts 2.38, Peter's sermon thesis, you need to get saved. And then afterwards, you need to be baptized in water and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit's power. Acts chapter 8, Philip and Samaria, they were saved baptized in water, and then baptized in the Spirit. But Acts 9 and 10 show us a little flip-flop order. Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus, he put his faith in Christ. Then secondly, he was baptized in the Spirit when Ananias laid hands on him. And then third, baptized in water. And that same reverse order happens in Acts 10 with the Italians because they always do things upside down. They were saved and then baptized in the Holy Spirit nearly seamlessly, if you've read the text, and then baptized in water afterward. And then Acts 19, Paul literally meets the group of 12 converts from the Egyptian evangelist Apollos' ministry. And his first question to them is, have you received a church coffee mug? Have you gotten a discipleship book? His first question was, have you received the Holy Spirit baptism since you were saved? I mean, that's the first thing off the top of their head. Spirit baptism is important. And if for some reason you've served the Lord since Abraham and Sarah's engagement party or something like that, and this is just now coming on your radar, um, again, this is not a guilt thing, but now that you know the promise of the Spirit, it's up to you to get into an obedient spot with the Lord and receive from Him. Because this is not some weird voodoo thing. This is going to empower and change not only the ministry fruitful side, but also the fruitful satisfaction part of your Christianity. As now all of a sudden you're going, hey, the stuff that I've always wanted to do, but I've pushed to the side, minimized and ignored. Now all of a sudden it's become the main source of joy in my life. Yeah. Okay, look at the next one then, please. Finally, spirit baptism. Oh, I forgot about this. Okay, so this is... Um, how long the person had served the Lord before they were baptized in the Spirit. The day of Pentecost acts to the disciples and other Christians. These are the longest tenured, most mature believers in the book of Acts recorded to have received the baptism in the Spirit. Do you notice anything similar about the bottom four? Brand new converts. Like a lot of people go, well, boy, I'm afraid that if we have, you know, all these new people that are getting saved in our church, expose them to the Holy Spirit's power, they might get scared and weirded out. I have a simple antidote. Don't be scary and weird about it. Right? So like tonight at the altars, they're going to dim the lights. We're going to turn the smoke machines on. We're going to start playing haunted house music. 
all the ushers are going to come up clicking tasers, you know. Um, you know, no, that's, that's what they'll do with Kendall and, Kendall and Starler here. That's not what we're doing tonight. Um, but, no, it's not, it's not that we keep the lights up. We're praying, we're seeking Jesus. Remember, it's the same Holy Spirit who's lived inside of you since you were saved. So when you begin to say, Jesus, baptize me in the Spirit, because... Biblically, technically, Jesus is the one who baptizes us. It's not pastor. It's not me. It's not anyone else. It's Jesus. And all of a sudden, you're going to sense him responding to you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It'll be the same Holy Spirit. You'll recognize him. You're not going to go, hey, wait a minute. Who is this? Same Holy Spirit that's lived inside. And at that moment, then, you're, it's not a scary thing. You're not, like, people are afraid that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them. They're going to, God's going to put the chloroform rag of the Holy Spirit over their mouth, and they're going to pass out and wet their pants, and then they're going to wake up two weeks later in the drainage ditch in front of the church with a bean can on their head going, what happened to me, you know? It's not that way. In fact, most people are astonished when they are being baptized in the Spirit and when that confirming sign, that deeply personal, deeply vulnerable, deeply spiritual, deeply introspective confirming sign of praying in tongues personally, not the public one with interpretation, but the personal one. When that happens for you, most people are astonished that it's not passive, that it's not like you're under some anesthesia, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you start floating and hearing Pink Floyd music or something like that. Most people are astonished that they're not less aware of their surroundings. If anything, they're more aware. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't come to dull us, he comes to sharpen us. And I know a lot of people play games with this and they're like, oh, it's just some big you know, drunken whatever every time. And God can do those things. But the central purpose of this is, is not to bring us to some state of dullness and sensory loss. Instead, it's to make us more sensitive to the world around us. How many of you, when you were baptized in the Spirit, you were kind of surprised your brain still worked when you started praying in tongues? It's a very common experience. People are like, I thought God hit you over the head with a rubber mallet and, you know, the doves begin to trip around your head like a Tom and Jerry cartoon or something like that. But this is something very, very important. And finally, it's functional. Check this out. So this is not just something where you go, come on up here and do this thing that the Bible talks about. And then, you know, then you can get the discount on your tithe or whatever. I don't know what your process is here. Uh, get valet parking. It's not like some thing that you like you're earning a badge for you know, uh, royal uh, strangers or something like that. This is functional in that the moments that you're praying and seeking to be baptized in the Spirit, if you pay attention, God is actually tutoring you and mentoring you in what to do in the days ahead afterwards in ministry. Okay? So check this out. Look at the next one. So the top scripture describes the moments when spirit baptism happened for them. And just to be clear, the moment you first say as a Christian, God you know, baptize me in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit giveth utterance, if you're like to mouthful like that, or whether you pray without any of that theological knowledge, you go, God, please help me to tell grandma about you. Same prayer, right? The moment you begin to say, God, give me power to do the things that you want me to do, that moment you step into the bigger process of being baptized in the Spirit. When should a Christian step out of that process? When you die. So really, from the moment you recognize that God wants to do more in your life than you can do by yourself and you begin to ask for his help, you step under the waterfalls and you should never step out. It's not like the moment you babble out a syllable in tongues, you go, I earned the badge, I'm done with that, I've moved on. Because if all you got when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues, you got ripped off. You got a 
you got a substandard gifting. This is not, I mean, that comes with it, but it's like the sign of speaking in tongues is the size of Midland, but the baptism in the spirit is the size of Texas. You know, it's just a small, it's an important, maybe Midland's the wrong example because it's not really important, but it's what, you know, one of those, and I'm trying to stir some angst here. It's not working very well. I'm picking all the wrong buttons. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, I kind of went after the Patriots because uh, um, I'm born and raised Eagles fan. So I'm just, uh, just, uh, yeah, okay, all right. But hey, when I, was, when I was seven years old, Tom Landry came to our church outside of Philadelphia for our district and did a men's conference. And so I've not hated the Cowboys. So you've got to have a little grace towards me, all right? Okay. I think we can all come together that, that we just know the Redskins are terrible too, though, right? So that's, I mean, we got that in common. Find some common ground. Okay, what were we talking about for the detour? Sorry. Okay, so they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in a language they had never learned. Uh, other tongues, other in the Greek is heteros, another of a different kind. Tongues is language. It's not tongue like the you know, worship leader, uh, Gene Simmons. It's actually language. They began to speak in a language they never learned before as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. Utterance is this very peculiar, seldom used word in the Bible, only used three times, only used by Luke, only used in Acts, the word apothangamai. Apo, like apostle, to send. Thangamai, data. They began to speak in a language they had never learned before as the Holy Spirit was sending them the data. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to get new spiritual awareness and God began to turn on the subtitles for them. Now, this is important because a lot of people think this is passive. You just lay there and, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden you go, look at the, the security footage later, and look, wow, God knocked me over, and I began to speak in tongues. I woke up in a pool of drool at 3 a.m., and wow, that was great. But this is not it. The, notice the Bible says that they, the people, began to speak. The Holy Spirit's role is only to turn the subtitles on. Your role is to identify them. And to act upon them. This is really important. This is what's kept a lot of long-term seekers from experiencing this part of this gift. It's really easy. Your job is not just to keep, like when the Holy Spirit moves upon you, most times people get very, very excited. For example, you're praying, Lord, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Pretty typically, honestly, in just a few moments after someone goes, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit's power, he wants to. So you're going to sense the Holy Spirit beginning to fall upon you. It's, it's rather crazy, honestly. People are like, wow, that was fast. He wants to. He wants to empower you. He's not waiting for you to fix other stuff in your life first because re- you receiving more power will enable the fixing power of the Spirit to increase in your life, you know? Like, I got to fix all my struggles first. before. No, it's not that way. Receiving now will help you to be more of an overcomer. And so, you know, the devil will lie you out of anything he can. But when you pray, God, fill me with your spirit, Jesus, all of a sudden you're going to sense the spirit of God coming upon you rather quickly. He's not going to scare you. He's not going to squish you or anything like that. And you'll know it's him because it's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, the same one you sense when you pray or when you worship or when you've had special times with God where you've really been aware. Same spirit. And when he moves upon you, most people, because they don't, yet, uh, have, they don't yet know some of the ways of the Spirit of God, they haven't yet encountered or discerned those, they right away, they kind of ignore the subtitles. They're looking up here, but God hits the subtitles about knee level. You, you, know, you have to become like a child. So if you're looking some, for some great passive supernatural fireworks, you may miss them. Has, hasn't the Holy Spirit always kind of led you with gentle nudges? 
right? So look for the gentle nudges. And so you're praying, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Most people's natural reaction, if they were saying, Lord, I love you, thank you, Jesus, their response is because his presence is exciting, they begin to go, Lord, I love you, thank you, Jesus. And they begin to get louder and faster out of their own effort and energy, pulling words out of their own vocabulary, out of their brain. The language of the Spirit doesn't flow out of your intellect. It flows from your spirit, from the Holy Spirit to your spirit. So when the Spirit of God moves upon you, your job is to try to disconnect your mouth from your brain and connect it to your spirit. Where is God stirring you? That's where you look for the prompting. You don't stand there and go, hmm, if I were to make up a funny language... What words would I use? Well, that the Chinese buffet. I like that one thing with the octopus suckers. And I like that one 50s doo-wop song and, you know, and whatever. It's not like that. You're not looking to create. You're looking to discover. But you've got to look in the right spot. And if you, I tell people, pray with passion until you sense the Holy Spirit come upon you. And then shut your mouth for a moment. And listen deep inside where the Holy Spirit is stirring. He'll begin to give you the utterance. He'll begin to give you the prompting. And then the main function of it is the bottom. Then 10 verses later, when the unbelievers gathered around, they stopped speaking in tongues and they started trusting the same Holy Spirit to guide them to speak and communicate to the people around them, which brings us to the final one here. Check it out. If you can trust God to guide you to speak in the unknown language, how much more afterwards can you trust him to guide your known language? Speaking in tongues is not the gift. It's the sign that you now have access to new subtitles in your spiritual life. And God wants to guide your words. That was what happened for me when I was 12 years old. Pastor Clay, can you come on back up and uh, bring your accordion with you? And uh, no, we appreciate it so much. We're going we're gonna to transition into a time of prayer, but let me just kind of tie a knot in this real quick. When I was 12 years old, I was baptized in the Spirit, August 19, 1983. Uh, I'm hyper-analytical, if you can't tell. And so it was, for me, the process was not what I expected. Not in a bad way. I had just only noticed people being baptized in the Spirit in our church that received in a noticeable, outlandish, loud way. But honestly, you don't know if someone, you know, flailing their arms and screaming, if that's the Holy Spirit or if they just forgot to take their medicine, really. You don't know from the, I'm not, you know, belittling that, but you really don't know, do you? You know? And so when the Holy Spirit came upon me, it had been many times and and I experienced it, but I, I was waiting for God to make me pray in tongues. I didn't know to look for that. And all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit came upon me on on that August night, all of a sudden those funny promptings came up again inside. Now I would always suppress them and resist them going, oh, that's just me. But that night is when I felt like God say, add up the columns here, do some spiritual accounting. And I realized the promptings over the two and a half years I've been praying about this at the time, and you don't need to wait that long, but I just, I was too hard headed and couldn't, couldn't find it. And uh, over those, over those years, I noticed that the promptings to say those words had always been consistent, always the same thing for me. And it was only when I sensed the Holy Spirit upon me after praying about being baptized in the Spirit. I had never added up the columns before. I'd never had those promptings when I was playing basketball or when I was playing my my cutting edge Atari 2600, you know. I didn't have the prompting. I only had them when I was saying, Jesus, baptize me in your Spirit. And I sensed the Holy Spirit upon me. That's when the promptings came. And all of a sudden, I said literally out loud in that tabernacle, God, have you been trying to get me to say this all along? And I didn't feel any huge, like, angel choir sing an answer or something, but I did feel a sudden surge of courage, like God giving me, come on. And I opened up my mouth, and I cleared my throat, and I literally, for me, I I knew, like, two syllables were just there. It was kind of weird. 
And I literally said that. Some people don't have actual words prompted to them, but they feel they need to say something. So do me a favor. I want everyone in this room to hum your sound out. Ready? Go, hmm. Okay, well, pretty good. All right, so now that's not tongues, just to be clear. But that is your role in speaking in tongues. You supply the I will do it. You supply the air and the sound, but you leave the lyrics to the Lord. Right? So that's the important thing. When the Spirit of God moves upon you and you sense His presence, some of you may have syllables and sounds bubble up. You may become aware. I had a lady this last week in Pittsburgh said it was like I could see it and I just read it from the air. Man, I wish I had that one, you know. But... uh, But for some people, they feel like they need to speak, but they don't know what they're saying. I've had people say to me over the years, I feel like God was like burping me like a baby. Please don't belch, all right? But I felt like, you know, I need to, I see a lot of times people smacking their lips and rubbing their mouth, you know, when the Spirit of God moves upon them, almost an unconscious response to God putting all this verbal attention to them. If that happens, open up your mouth and just begin to sing out your voice and just try to give yourself to God. This is not a right, wrong thing. This is a, I'm trying to learn the ways the Spirit of God is moving through me. And you're going to be in the safety zone as long as you're praying to Jesus. If you're praying to Mickey Mouse or Satan or Tom Brady, then nothing's going to go right, okay? But if you're praying to Jesus, you're in the safety zone. And you're going to find all of a sudden, you know, as you're singing your voice out or letting your sound out, you're going to all of a sudden find a gentle nudge. Your tongue wants to go this way. Your lips want to go this way. Just sense the gentle nudges. Feel the gentleness of the leadings of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because like for me, Thursday night I was baptized. Friday night I went into a, a convenience store as a kid to buy some bubble gum. And there was an upset lady in the aisle. And all of a sudden, I was standing in between me and the bubble gum. And all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit's presence, but I didn't know what to do. So I, I stopped, and she was in my way, so I'm waiting on her. I go, um, God, why do I feel your presence? Have you ever sensed God outside of church in kind of a weird spot and go, what in the world? And so I asked him. I was like, well, God, am I supposed to do something? Or maybe I'm supposed to talk to someone? Am I supposed to talk to her? And at that moment, when I quieted down, the same spot for me where that utterance of tongues came from, not in my brain going, hmm, what should I say to her? But just kind of listening, the simple sentence, are you okay, bubbled up. Which may not sound very spiritual, but after a little back and forth with God giving me sentence after sentence, she was the first person I ever led to the Lord. And she was old. She was like 30. And... Over the next 60 days as a 12-year-old kid, I led 27 adults to the Lord in 1983. Not because I'm some great evangelist, but because God wants to give you more than just speaking in tongues. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and turn the subtitles on. Turn on new levels of spiritual interaction and power so this can be your most effective and fruitful year you've ever lived as a Christian. Sound like a deal? Stand with me to your feet, would you? Reach your hands real high towards heaven. This is just a stretch. Don't get spiritual yet. Rock up on your toes. A long day, a lot of rain, all that stuff. Shake it off. All right, so here's the deal. In a moment, I'm going to invite everyone. You can keep the lights on. That's cool. Um, I'm going to invite everyone. Uh, some people are curious and they want to watch. And how many know we got nothing to hide, right? So at, at some, we, some people Zacchaeus for a little while before, and that's cool. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Anyone that wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time, you've never yet experienced that, or maybe you've had some kind of encounter, but it's all, you've always had a big question, tonight's the night God erases the question marks for you, okay? And secondly, those that say, hey, I've already had that happen, but I want, some, I want the subtitles to glow brighter. I want to see the opportunities better. I want to download a fresh, updated anointing on my life. Sound like a deal? 
Okay? So I'm going to ask as we come forward here in just a second, we're not going to beg and plead and sing in a million songs. Time's late and I'm from the East Coast and I'm I'm blunt. All right? So um, I'm going to ask you as we come forward, whether from the youngest child to the eldest senior, I'm going to ask as we come forward, if you are praying about this to receive for the first time as you come forward, that you touch your toes against the front edge of the platform from side to side. If there's a bunch of people in the way, just say, excuse me, excuse me. And people are nice enough here to let you right through. Okay, when you get up here, we have installed electrodes along the front edge. No, no, no. That's just a real easy way for myself and the pastors and their spouses and the prayer partners to know exactly who's desiring to receive for the first time because we want to pray for you gently, lovingly. Nobody's going to hit you in the head or push you over or smack you or tase you. How many know God doesn't need that stuff? We're not here to minister to add distractions. We're here to remove them so you can see those subtitles more clearly. But we're going to pray. So if your toes are against the stage at any point during this service, someone will come and gently pray with you, lay a hand on your shoulder. You can expect when someone lays a hand on your shoulder to experience a lift of faith and more of the power of God, not because we have power in our hands or whatever as leaders, but because it's just simply something God honors, you know, kind of joins us together in that way. And many times when the Spirit of God, when someone lays hands upon you, you'll often sense the Spirit of God just kind of quicken you. At that moment, why not open up and throw English or Spanish out the window? You've you've prayed enough out of your brain already. Why not let your spirit pray for a little while? Let your inner being bubble forth and experience the freedom there. Often, too, finally, a lot of people end up getting healed of something huge when they get baptized in the Spirit. So how many would permit God to allow, you allow God to do a lot more than just the bare, right? All right, Jesus, you are our baptizer in the Spirit. And we invite you, Jesus, living, resurrected Christ, Son of God, the object of the affection of God. Would you please grant us such favor tonight that everyone receives easily from your presence and learns the ways and voice of your spirit in the process. Let it be, we pray. Amen. Amen.